Hey, it's Tom Grads, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have our lawyer, Chris Agaropoulos, coming on to give us a legal update, and we cover a lot of ground. Chris has the perfect demeanor, in my eyes, to be a great lawyer. Nothing seems to phase this guy. Even during the podcast, you'll hear, I try to make a little joke or a little jab at lawyers. He's having none of it, doesn't phase him at all, and just kind of keeps going. So he's just a really good guy. We have known him now for years. He's worked a lot with different real estate investors over the years. He's helped us out um, on different things over the years. And it's really important in our eyes to understand the legal process in Ontario. When we were younger, we didn't have a good handle on how the legal process worked. Our only exposure to it was when our father's construction company would sometimes either uh, get served with some kind of legal paperwork, as bad as that sounds, or if he was in the middle of serving someone else and going through some process And the construction industry between general contractors and subcontractors always seems to be some battles going back and forth. So we had some exposure to it. So we weren't kind of scared of the legal process in Ontario, but we didn't have a good understanding of it. And I think that's what Chris has helped us to do over the years. Um, And on this call, or sorry, on this podcast, we talk about different insurance liability amounts that perhaps uh, we should all think about and consider. We talk about different legal uh, quote unquote games or can you kind of game the legal system uh, at all in Ontario and get his thoughts on that. We also talk about investing strategies and joint ventures and rent owns and some of the things to be aware of in those particular investing strategies. So we cover a lot of different ground. He's just a good guy. Uh, We have a good chat. You will, uh, I think you'll take something away from At minimum, you're going to get one little piece of information. I feel that it's going, going to be important or valuable to you in some way. So enjoy the call. I keep saying call. Why am I saying call? is clearly a podcast. So enjoy the podcast, this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show. And if you are listening to this and you are thinking about perhaps going into business yourself and you have some entrepreneurial itch that you're looking to scratch or you started a business and you want to grow it, we have something coming up in June that we are starting to get a lot of questions about and I think you should know about it. We, we basically have taken 10 years more, I guess it's about 12 years of our own experience after quitting our jobs and we are distilling it down into a two-day event where we share Facebook marketing strategies and Google AdWords strategies and what we do with YouTube and podcasts and business operations and marketing campaigns and the math of business and creating your own what we call rockstar entrepreneurial blueprint so you have a blueprint to grow a business or your business further from where it's at today. We do this over a two-day period. We get a lot of great feedback. We have done this two other times before. We are doing this just because of the demand from the last time that we did this. We had just about 50% of the room last time instantly sign up for this year's version of the Rockstar Entrepreneur Summit without knowing the dates or the content or anything. So that was really a, a great testament to what they felt or what we felt they felt the quality of that event was. So we're doing it again, June 13th and 14th, 2019. If you think you want to come to something like that, you can check out all the details at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash summit. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash summit. And summit is S-U-M-M-I-T. So you can check out all the details there. I think that's it for now. With that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show 
with Tom and Nick Carrazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Chris, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. The reason I'm smiling just as we're beginning this is I just think it's always good to have lawyers as friends. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I think that, but uh, I think I do know why. And I've probably shared this before, but it was an old Italian guy once told me, he said, hey, Tom, I probably shouldn't be sharing this either. But he, he told me, you, yeah, you know what? I'm going to sh- not share that. We're just going to leave that. I'll, one day I'll share what this old Italian guy said. I'm going to rein myself in here a little bit. But listen, uh, there's something that comes up with lawyers all the time in your business. In real estate, we always have our challenges. I find in the, your legal profession, one of the challenges that you have is that people shop lawyers, especially real estate lawyers who are closing deals. Sure. They shop you guys around. For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So pull pull the mic super, super close. I want everyone to be able to hear you. Okay. Uh, um, so uh, they shop you guys around and I'll have people come up to me and say, well, uh, Tom, you know, I know you guys know Chris and he's a good guy and stuff, but I found somebody who's like, $49 cheaper and I, I I don't mean to laugh like it's a like saving money is obviously important but the way sure. but the way I live my life is that I want to build loyalty with certain professionals in my life so I'm not trying to actually pay people around me whether it's contractors I know I'm going to take heat for this but contractors lawyers accountants home inspectors I'm not trying to like get the best deal from them I'm actually trying to get them to be making money from me with the hope that if I pay them what they're worth, they'll recognize, and it's a bit of a gamble on my part, they'll recognize that I'm a good client to them. And then when I need a favor, maybe I'm like the godfather. (laughs) Then when I need a favor, but I feel like I'm then contributing to their profession and their livelihood so that when we all have those accounting emergencies or legal emergencies, or you need a home inspector on short notice, I can make a call and I have built in loyalty with them because over the years I've been a good client. Yeah. Whereas most people I find with almost everyone they deal with are looking to win the deal. Like yeah. they have to get the lawyer to be reduce their fees by a certain amount so that they won or the home inspector or the, the contractor. Contractors are tough. They're spending a lot of money. But, but um, you know, everyone's always trying to win. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm trying to sometimes leave a little bit of meat on the bone yeah. for the other person yeah. so that they feel like we have a good relationship. I don't know why we're starting with this particular point, Chris, but it just came to mind. I'm trying to build loyalty points with people. Yeah. And in your profession, you guys fight that all the time. I know you do. Yeah. So it, it goes, it cuts both ways. You know, some lawyers have like huge, huge fees. Um, some lawyers. Yeah, okay. That's fair. I know if you're doing big thing. Yeah. I guess I was focusing it on the real estate, tech, but go ahead. Yeah. Go. Like it cuts both ways. I mean, you know, sometimes people look at lawyers fees and go, wow. Um, some lawyers are, are crazy and charge huge fees. Some guys do like total bargain basement stuff and do volume, you know, uh, only because you ask, I, I really do feel like I'm sort of moderately priced middle of the road in terms of my fees. Yeah, um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot no, no, for your no, fees. No, 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 <laughs> but, but, but yeah, that does happen. I mean, I, I had a guy today, you know, that, I mean, first deal, like sometimes after a guy's done three or four or five deals and, you know, it says like, you know, we've got a, an ongoing relationship and, and the relationship isn't just, you know, we've done four or five deals. We've done four or five deals. You're happy with me and I'm happy with you, i.e. you're not making me nuts, you know. Um, but, you know, at that point, you know, can you work with me? Can we do something? Sure, that's always a discussion. But when someone out of the gate, you know, hasn't met you before, doesn't know you at all and says, yeah, can you discount by, you know, X number of dollars or hundreds of dollars here or there? It does, it does leave a bad taste in my mouth. 
Uh, and then, so then I become a professional, right? And I started thinking, okay, well, I started sort of sizing you up and assessing you. Are you really good for four or five deals down the road? Or are you going to do, you know, get, sure. get a discount now and then I'll never see you But it you already again. sets up this like on, right. almost confrontational right. initial relationship. So, right. So then we're sort of, you know, right off the bat and then it's a business relationship, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's very much in the person. Like I think that some people uh, are more inclined to shop the best, best deal they can. And other people are maybe a little bit more liberal minded about it, you know. Um, I'm willing to take the risk with most most things. So I'll say, okay, that's your fee. I'm going to pay it. And let's just see how this experience is. And if, if this is winning on both sides, like you're awesome and this yeah. has been a good experience. Yeah. Damn, I'm just going to keep coming back and let's build a relationship here. But uh, I'm like you. I, I'm, I'm totally like that. You know, and if, if I find that it's not working out, then I say, okay, my bad. Maybe I paid that guy a little bit too much, but I won't go back to him. Totally. You know, that's a different story. I but, own it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, and I feel like every business owner, every professional, this is what you have, especially if someone's coming to you as a referral, they don't know how to compare you often other than just on your price. Right. And I look at that as a, actually, um, a little bit of an issue on my part. Like if people come in the real estate and they look at us and just solely judge us on like a commission or something, right. I'm like, damn, we have really got to change our processes. So they're not just looking at us and able to compare us on cost of what our services yeah. are. We have to build the bigger picture and that's just a marketing or business lesson. But anyway, we're, we're off tra uh, off topic to, to begin with. I wanted to, you, you, you've lost some weight. So what, what, <laughs> thanks so, for noticing. I, uh, no, no, I didn't, I didn't know if you wanted to make, I did not I, uh, know that this was going to be a subject. No, um, I didn't now, know how if you, do you know what the answer be. will be. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious why, why have you lost some weight and uh, the strategy? We talked briefly about yeah, yeah. an eating window or strategy or whatever. So, so here was my life up until about a year ago. Um, wake up in the morning, don't eat anything. Uh, grab a sandwich at some point during the day, wolf it down as I'm sort of going between meetings uh, meeting clients here late at night, sometimes, you know, eight, eight thirty nine, leaving here, getting back to the office, dropping the files, setting them up for the next day, getting home around 10 and then having an absolute feed bag at 10 o'clock at night. Right. Um, and that's sort of how I w lived my life. Um, and I don't really recall how I got away from that, but I just sort of woke up one morning and said, why am I eating like, like that late? It's ridiculous. I wasn't sleeping well. So all I've done, Tom, is I've just stopped eating late at night. So I generally won't eat past 6.30, 7 tops uh, and try not to eat a lot at night, you know. Um, and that has basically meant 20 pounds over the course of a year. So it's not like, you know, I lost like four pounds a week or three pounds a week. It was sort of, you know, a pound and a half, two pounds tops a month. And you haven't maybe seen me or sort of kind of looked at me, assessed and me, sized you up, sized me <laughs> up, you know, and that's maybe why I seem to you that I've lost this weight, but it's been very gradual, you know, just by not eating late at night. And is that, was that an easy enough change? Because then you're not eating. So then when are you eating in the morning? I guess what um, time do you start eating again? Well, and so that's the other part. I've never really been a morning eater ever. Um, so coffee when you wake up though? Yes. Coffee. Uh, espresso. Oh, espresso. So no sugar in the espresso or no? No, always like just, that. always just straight. You are an approved espresso drinker. That's right. hundred percent. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. so um, probably four or five espressos by noon okay. for sure. That's fine. I'm all for the espressos. Um, maybe check your cortisol levels yeah. at some point, but we got to check yeah. you out. Make sure your yeah. kids are coming at four yeah. or five is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
so just a black coffee espresso yes. until noon. So you're going from, are you really then going from like six or seven until noon the next well, day? Well, what I learned and not doing this intentionally, but what I learned just from then, I sort of saw, I was seeing the results very gradually, but I was seeing the results and I was feeling a lot better, by mm-hmm. the way, like feeling great. What I learned was that um, um, without even thinking about it, I was doing the intermittent fasting. Totally are, yeah. Right? Uh, and so and that turned into sort of, yeah, I was doing 16 hours, 16, 8, you know, sort of the 16 off and, you know, 8 on. And then then when I was seeing some results, and some days I do like 18 hours, you know, like 18 on or 18 off and 6 off or 6 on, whatever it is. But I didn't really, like, I haven't been following it religiously. Like, I don't go, okay, now, you know, now's my time that I can eat or now's the time that I can't eat. There's been plenty of times when, you yeah, know. You're, you're not, you're not OCD about it. Yeah. Like, I would be OCD about no, it, not, but you're no. not, that's great. No, no. Like, if we're out tonight having a couple of beers, I'm not going to, like, lose my mind about it. Like, I'm yeah. not going to be beating myself up the next day about it, you know? Yeah, no, the, I, yeah. and I, and the coffee I've, I've recently learned the coffee has basically no, black coffee has basically no calories. So you're really right. going through a, a large, that's right. uh, intermittent fasting window there where you're not eating food. That's good. Just yeah. for the detox yeah. mechanisms uh, in, that are good for the body in that good for you. And I think it's, it's good to be losing that much weight a month. If you drop pounds quickly, it's not really a long-term adjustment either. So yeah, awesome. I, I have no idea whether it's healthy or not healthy. Like I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you that I've been feeling, let's just play doctor and say better. it's healthy. Yeah. We'll just totally sure. play. Cool. Doc. I'm with the lawyer cool. here. I can say, no, I'm not <laughs> cool. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really good. And the espresso, I just want to tell you, I'm, I've, I've mentioned this on this podcast a few times now, but I'm pretty convinced entire, maybe in the Southern Ontario area, I'm making one of the best, if not the best espressos. Um, I really got the water dialed in. I have the beans <laughs> dialed in. I got okay. the machine grind dialed in. Okay. And I like about two months ago, I had my whole family over cousins and everybody, um, nieces and nephews. And uh, I had multiple beans set up, multiple water types, Come different on. grinds. We wow. went through a lot of costs. Oh, wow. this, is, this is not, this is no Mickey Mouse operation wow. over here. Wow. In our new office, which we'll be moving into late summer of this year, right. um, we're going to get a big proper uh, espresso machine that grinds the beans and stuff because I have that at home, obviously, but yes. here we're an espresso. You, here you have the Nespresso, and you're quite proud of the Nespresso here, though. I think you like the Nespresso. I hardly no? drink it. I've oh. had maybe one. Okay. Um, I don't really, dr- I'm not, I feel so very suspicious over the Nespresso. So I don't understand how that crema comes it's in, out. It's in a pod. It's plastic. It's you're wondering. Well, yeah. How, and it comes out with a nice crema on top, which I feel like should be impossible coming <laughs> from a, like a little yeah. pod thing. Yeah. So I feel it's a, I'm very suspicious over the Nespresso, yeah. but I have friends that are like all in on it yeah. and some older school uh, friends that are uh, big espresso guys that are like all into Nespresso now, yeah. and I'm like, ah, yeah. I'm very, very nervous. George Clooney didn't turn your mind. I, on the that, commercials eh? are awesome. I love the commercials. <laughs> I'm a fan of the commercials, but yeah, the commercials <laughs> are not selling me. So listen, what I wanted to really talk to you about was uh, insurance claim stuff. Sometimes yes, when we're dealing with um, investors on properties, rental properties, I guess one million liability insurance used to be pretty normal. Yeah, I, I think feel. it was. Yeah, and then now. What do you suggest? What's the what? What do you suggest people get? Well, I think the the level now is two million dollars, um, and I think that that's a bare minimum now. I wouldn't go with anything less than two million. 
Um, oh, so you're, you're, some people are getting more than two million. Some, some are getting more depending on, you know, their specific situation. If it's like more of like a high risk rental, for example, with students or something, and I shouldn't say high risk, like, you know, it's going to blow up tomorrow, I got it, but, but you're coming from a legal perspective. I yeah. Get like a, you know, a, a student rental McMaster with like, you know, 10 guys in a, in a home is more, more risk than, you know, like an RTO with like an older family, let's say, you know, so um, I think two million is the is the basic level now, and maybe you go higher if if the circumstances warrant. And the reason really for that, Tom, is that over the course of some time now, sort of evolutionary damages awards in civil lawsuits have been going up. Uh, for a very long time, we were sort of down lo- like way lower than in the U.S., and we're still way lower than the U.S. But damages awards are going up. Uh, and what you really have to worry about is, um, you know, someone really injuring themselves like on a slip and fall, like on an icy sidewalk or something, uh, you know, and sort of being having, I think they call them life altering injuries now, you know, sort of having like a quadriplegic or that type of scenario. You have like a young guy, for example, that might be 25 years old that isn't, you know, that's sort of made more of a handy type guy you know, sort of more of a worker type guy. Maybe he's working in a factory earning 50000 or 60000 a year or something like that. So he's young. He's making a pretty decent income level. And then he slips and falls and Jeez. has like a, you know, sort of life-altering, you know, quadriplegic yeah, type injuries. It, but yeah, okay. So it's not really, we were talking about it before this. It's not just, it's not really about him dying because actually, ironically, the dying is a much smaller damage award. It's the, That's crazy. It's that the, just sounds crazy, but it makes sense because you're replacing income. It's true. So he a, lives, you know, okay. he lives. He's, I don't know, 25 years old. He's making 50000 a year, and now he can't make 50000 a year for the next 40 years of his working life. You do the math, very quickly adds up. Now, that's in a perfect world, and let's just say there's no contributory negligence. Let's say a judge finds in his favor, and, you know, all this, you know, sure. sort of everything yeah. goes the way that it should for him, not for you. But, you know, policy limits have to be up to sort of cover for that, mm-hmm. you know? And I guess in those kind of environments, you want to have the right policy because you want to do the right thing and make sure it's all covered and stuff. So it's just well, in your best interest to yeah, have the right policy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to cover yourself primarily, but also, you know, depending on how you feel about, you know, social conscience about, you know, even covering the guy that that hurts himself totally. outside, right? So it depends yeah. on how you look okay. at it. But, I, you know, I, I have no idea what, what the increase in premiums is, but it's I know it's more, but I think that that's the bare minimum now. Every know? time we've looked at the increase from one million, well, anyway, from one million to two million, it sounds like two million is now the minimum. It's it's almost negligible. Yeah, in the grand scheme of true. things, I would say it's, it's negligible. True. It's true. But, um, okay, so maybe even more, and that's something you could talk to your lawyer about and decide what's right on the property type. And your broker, you know, like your agents, they'll talk to you about all that sort of stuff. Yeah, got it. So, I know yeah. for a while... Some insurance, some people were doing like umbrella policies where they were getting, and I know um, in just talking to some of our insurance brokers and stuff, they're advising most people now, and again, talk to your own insurance broker if you're listening to this, but they're advising most people to get every property, have its own um, policy, don't get the umbrellas because they feel it just, it's much easier on the policy. I forget the exact example. It was just better. I think it was... If one of your property, you have an umbrella, but maybe you have a joint venture over here somewhere, it, it just it just keeps it nice and 100%. clean. And especially like, you know, the clientele coming out of out of this brokerage, but a lot of brokerages now that are investment minded brokerages, people are always hustling and moving and trying to find new ways to make money, right? Joint ventures and RTOs and stuff like that. And if all of that isn't totally and appropriately disclosed to your agent, to your broker, and then to the insurance company, then that gives them a reason to not 
to not pay out on, on the on the claim, you know. Uh, and I'm carrying right now, you know, maybe a half dozen litigation claims that our insurance companies not paying out. Uh, so they do find ways to not pay out sometimes sure. and try to bleed you out. So, so I'm you know um, umbrellas work fine I think, but you know um, there can be sort of gray areas that maybe aren't being caught in an umbrella policy if you're doing, for example, a joint venture or you know an RTO or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then why do you think damages are going up? Like why are we becoming more like the U.S. and not from the major things? But you, it's sounding listening to you that just damages in general are getting awarded. At a higher amount. Yeah, I, I think I think part of it is we just we're following the U.S. and we do that. I think in a lot of aspects of our lives. So we're just slower uh, to get where they yeah, are. Yeah, we were more traditional and conservative of that. In that, uh, the plaintiffs bar. We had a joke last time about the word bar, but sort of plaintiffs lawyers, like you know, personal injury guys that are, you know, you can call them ambulance chasers or whatever, but that are chasing these things are, are becoming more and more sophisticated. They're modeling their submissions and their arguments and, uh, you know, sort of, for lack of a better word, theatrics on some of the U.S. Yeah. So they're just know, getting better. And just, or just, you know, better or different or whatever they are. But, uh, you know, and I think in some ways it actually makes some sense. I mean, if you have a guy that's rendered quadriplegic and he can't work for the next 40 years and he was earning an income, sure. it, it makes some of sense course. that the guy was going to, that he should be paid for that, you know, assuming that there's fault and assuming that, you know, there's a policy there for him. So. Okay, so, so it's kind of morbid, but it's it's important. No, to know, I think it's important know. to know. I, I even hate bringing up the talk, but I yeah. think it's important to know. It's an important discussion that I think every investor should have with their sure. lawyer and their insurance brokers and the, and the whole bit. So just talking about that as as we just sat down, I was I was just asking you if there's any new things or any games being played in the legal profession that we should know about. Just almost humorous stuff or anything just of interest. Is there anything going on that you can share about? Um, and where I was coming from was like, are there games people should know about, like about lawsuits and serving papers and stuff like that? But I think you were bringing up an example of something different. So you just take this wherever you want to go. Well, um, yeah, people always want to sort of uh, throw off the person that they're suing. So, you know, every Christmas, like around Christmas time, I'll get the, you know, make sure you serve them like right around Christmas time, you know, like that kind no of stuff. No way. Right? Oh yeah. I'm so naive and innocent oh, when yeah. it comes to that oh, stuff. Oh yeah. I've got people. Oh yeah. Like make sure that you get them like on Christmas day or, you know, whatever. Right. So there's always that kind Ugh, of stuff. Got but, it. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, I guess that has some shock value, but at the end of the day, you're issuing a claim, paying the money with the court and then it has to be served and then there's going to be a defense. So all of that at the end of the day doesn't really get you anything. So even if I serve a guy at Christmas, like, well, really, what do I get other than some sort of shock value, I guess? That's the way I look at it. I think another lawyer might say something different, but um, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty airtight system. So you can't really play games in terms of how you're issuing claims and even service of claims. You know, you have to do an affidavit of service and... What's an affidavit of service? Affidavit of service? Uh, yeah. So if I issue a claim out of the court or people sometimes say file a claim and then have to serve that claim on you, you know, so for you to be aware of that claim, right? And in most- That's where they get that guy who- what's The, the process name the, server. So, sorry, the process yeah. server. Yeah. 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 And I so, love that role. Yeah. It's a good It's a good role. I grew up with dealing with those guys because yeah. we were in the construction business. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in the construction yeah. business, there's always lawsuits be going on between the general yes, and the subs. Exactly. And there's, it's just these process servers are walking around. So yeah. I just became accustomed to like stuff arriving at our house. Yeah. Like it's your father, <laughs> you know, and they would give the name and I'm like, oh, I, I know what's going on yeah. here. So there's these rules, right? And then, so I have to personally serve you with that claim so that you personally 
definitely become aware that there's this claim being made against you and you have X number of days to respond, et cetera, et cetera. So where am I going with it? It's a pretty airtight system. So sometimes there are discrepancies about whether the person was served or not served, but ultimately a judge rules on it and kind of hard to, you know, kind of hard to play the game. But I just got to show you one, one thing. I know it's an airtight uh, system, but our office in Burlington, we were in executive suites uh, for years, which was, it was like a sandwich shop yeah. basically, but it was also an executive suites rental place that yeah. we rented out a majority of the, the offices there yeah. and the, the boardroom and training yeah. room and the whole bit. And, uh, Nick and I had a process server looking for us because it was a tenant, long story, tenant, got a new girlfriend, yeah. didn't like the house, came yeah. up with some reason to come after us. Yeah. And uh, I think if you're in real estate long enough, these things just happen to you. Um, and we're pretty used to it. But the 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 front desk of our that's executive suites was literally the sandwich shop. <laughs> and uh, so the, the lady who makes the sandwiches came in one day and said, there's someone here kind of, and I guess she had kind of caught on that it was yes. like something weird. Yeah. And I think Nick and I kind of caught on to what was happening. We're like, tell them we're not here. So they went away. And then I guess the hunt, the game began. Yes. You know, and yes. we knew what this was yeah, about. You were we were, service. Yeah. And we were in communication with this tenant. <laughs> we were like, we knew, yeah, yeah, we knew what was happening. Yeah, yeah. So Nick and I were like, how long can we like avoid yeah. this? Yeah. And I think we managed to go a whole week. Yeah. where they couldn't track us down because we weren't always in the office. And finally, I think they got my cell phone number somehow. Oh, there's room for that. That's not the airtight part. You could have went longer oh, probably could've, on yeah. that. I oh, felt yeah. very, That's Nick and I were like kind of no. high-fiving, like, oh my yeah, God. No, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I didn't end up meeting the guy at the office in, in the end. Um, I met him at a carpool place off the QEW. I don't yeah. know why I picked there. I'm like, I will meet you yeah. at the carpool. Yeah. Yeah. And I pulled in and the person's in the parking lot and they're kind of looking at me. And then I parked and they said my name and I guess I kind of nodded. Yeah. And that wasn't enough. And I took the papers yeah. and I'm like, well, wait a second. I didn't actually say I'm yeah. Tom Karadza. Yeah. And they said, well, you acknowledged with your head movement yeah. that you were. And that's enough. That's all I need. Yeah. And I didn't know if that was well, appropriate. That's, 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 oh, so I might I might have yeah, got. You might have got yeah. <laughs> the, honestly, the best process server I ever knew, I won't mention her name, um, but but she was an attractive young lady and she was great for men in, in terms Got of it. a great yeah, process okay. server for men. I could see how that would be a benefit so, to her. So she just, she'd basically camp out in her car, like drinking coffee, like for, you know, days on end almost, right? And then when the guy came out of his house or whenever she saw him, she'd walk up and she'd go, you know, you know, is this, are you so-and-so? And the guy would be like, well, yes, I am. And, you know, he'd be served, right? But the airtight system is not so much in that. There's always these games you can play. It's basically, if a claim has been filed or issued, you know, and it's and it's been served, then then you're in the system. So it doesn't matter whether you were served at Christmas or not or whatever. But giving an example of how airtight it is, or pretty close to airtight, I won't mention names. But there's a case that uh, recently came out in Hamilton just a few months ago where uh, a lawyer in Hamilton um, uh, filed uh, fake divorce papers or tried to fail, uh, f file fake divorce papers so that he could marry his clerk, one of his one of the ladies in his office. Um, and it was in the family court. Um, and they and were fake because he didn't want his wife to he know? Didn't want, he, he, he didn't want his wife to know, right? So he filed these fake divorce papers so he Holy could marry shit. the clerk, right? And so... He, but I, not give up half his assets or whatever he would have had to give up. Who knows what? And I don't know. And I shouldn't say he because I don't know if it was him. But emanating from his okay. office, whether it was him or the clerk herself or who knows who it was, it's in the paper. So I'm not saying anything that's not in the papers. Um, you know, uh, this this fake application for divorce got filed with a fake court file number. 
And one of the registrars at the family court, just looking at it, could tell that something wasn't quite right. You know, the court file number was wrong. And anyway, they got to the bottom of it and it turned out it was a total subterfuge. He wasn't divorced from this from his wife. Uh, and the application was fake so that he could marry the clerk, right? So it's it, you, there's no funny business there. There really is no funny business there, right? It's the evading service part that's kind of fun. What a risk to file fake Nuts. court paperwork. That Nuts. feels like some kind of federal Nuts. or provincial, I guess, provincial Nuts. offense. No, he's in, yeah, I won't say more than that. Yeah. But I mean, but, but that's the crazy. I mean, I don't know what would possess you to do that other than... Well, <laughs> who knows? Also, Chris, your vocabulary is so much uh, larger than mine. You used the word sub subterfuge. Subterfuge, yeah. Subterfuge, yeah. <laughs> what, what is that? So that means you're bypassing, getting yeah, around. Yeah, like, so, like, yeah, or, or you know, as, as we used to say, like we say in Hamilton, a gaff. You know, like wow. a, just a gaff. <laughs> Holy smokes, man! Uh, yeah, like I'm learning things like crazy. Yeah, there you go. Subterfuge. There you go. I got to yep. try to figure out how to use that in a sentence. Yeah. Subterfuge. Do okay, it, do it today. So, <laughs> So uh, okay, so that that stuff happens, but otherwise the court system's pretty locked tight, and I, it's pretty locked. I tight. think that should give everyone not. Um, I don't think you should be scared of the court system in Ontario. I think it actually helps us that we have an airtight system because if something bad happens, you know the process. You know that you can get to the person you're trying to get to, yep. and then it's going through the courts. And anytime I've been through the courts, the judges seem pretty fair. Like the they, procedures are there. Now, ultimately, if you have an adjudication, like, you know, whether it's a trial or a motion or an application or whatever in front of a judge, then your, you know, your, your life or not your life, but your case is totally in his or her hands. So you may not get a decision that you want. Right. So I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, there are cases where everyone who sure. should win wins and. Yeah, that's not Can perfect, you always right? appeal in Ontario or no? Well, almost always. There are some cases where there's no right of appeal, but very rare. In okay. most cases, there's a right of appeal. And then there's sort of, you have to have the grounds for appeal and there are certain things that can be appealed on. You just can't always appeal because you didn't like the decision. The decision-making process has to be incorrect in some way. Um, so it's not perfect in the sense that, you know, judges will always find in your favor, but, but, but the procedure, the way that it's all set out, Tom is pretty I mean, we're going on hundreds of years of sort of, you know, British common law and, you know, legislation and stuff. Yeah, it's, right? set up. It's, it's pretty set up. You've been in the business a long time now, but when you first, cause you, you go into some lawyers, I didn't understand this. Some lawyers do not go to court or they don't, they don't really it's like true. going to court. You, you go to court. Yeah. Did you just crap your pants like you just like the first time you went in for i don't know some sizable case, case or yeah. your first one yeah because you have this yeah i guess i can tell by your reaction you you have this weird I've, ability I've, to I've seem like it doesn't bother you that. i've never been Why? nervous about court i i i think it's in the most person. people are nervous about court. yeah it's not it's not that i'm better or worse i'm Is just the system different? just beat you down and you can't afford to let yourself get nervous o because you honestly just honestly and we're doing psychology 101 i i had a real tough father you know, I had a tough dad. Um, so he's, he's Greek, obviously Greek. He's yeah. gone. He's gone now. But I mean, yeah. he was tough. Right. And so but he was also pragmatic. And I think I'm pretty pragmatic. And I always said to myself, what like what? Seriously, like what can a judge do to you? And it sounds terrible now. A judge might be listening. But, you know, like what can a judge do to you other than maybe yell at you a little mm -hmm. bit? Or I almost had a judge throw a pen at me once. But. You know, like, like, so they'll chastise you or sort of give you the glare, but like, you know, it's not like he's going to come down from the bench and beat you over the head with a bat. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so perspective from your father's yeah, experience. Yeah. And, and, and then here's the other thing I've always thought this, and this has always helped me like judges wake up and put on their pants one leg at a time, just like you and I do. Right. They get up in the in the morning, they use the washroom, they drink a coffee, they put their pants on like you and I do. Like they're not, they're not, you know, superhuman beings. 
So like, there's no reason why you should be afraid to be in front of one. That, that's how I've always felt about yeah. it. I've never been nervous I think if about somebody courtrooms. hasn't, I think if someone, people who are self-employed or if you're in real estate, I find that you're going to be in the court system at some point. It's just like the yeah. nature of the world. Yeah. I find if you're in the corporate world, if anything happens in the corporate world, they have the legal department that kind of handles it. So you don't really, you hear about updates. That's what happened anywhere when I was in the software days. I, if anything went to court, I kind of got the updates about it and stuff. Yeah. But we were kind of removed from it on the sales department. Yeah. So it would be scary for me if I had to go to court for the first time. Like yeah. I, I think one of the first times I had to go was, was when I was a student customs officer and uh, somebody I had sent in for drugs and they found drugs and I had to yeah. go with my little notebook that you write the date on and yeah. you, yeah. you cancel out any blank yeah. areas in your notebook. Yeah. And I had to go there and they'd actually call me. I just waited and they settled. Um, but uh, I remember being like, holy smokes, like this is yeah. freaking crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but, but just to your point about your father, uh, that's a really good point because we had a very, a father who was a very demanding, he me, I said he made us work construction and I guess that's true. He didn't make us work construction. <laughs> he paid us, but I can't uh, believe he made you work. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I know. I know. At 13 years old, he dropped me off on my first construction site, told me to pick up all the drywall, gave me a wheelbarrow and a broom and left me good for you all summer good i just ate lunches at the dump box by myself because all the older men were all just talking about politics and stuff i didn't know what was going on yeah. all summer i made a crap load of money um and uh yeah that was just normal for me but he just yeah. left me on this job site all by myself every day yeah literally five minutes of instruction and i went to find the foreman and he just kind of looked at me and uh off i went to go yeah. do that stuff but he also had the strongest two fingers that i've ever known anyone to have because if <laughs> nick and i ever did anything incorrect in his view right here at the side of your head i know you can't see this from if you're listening but the side of your head you're like pointing at your temple to, right yeah kind of like yeah. a yeah yeah maybe even a little above and a little back from your temple like it's a weird spot like he would just come at us with these two fingers and i swear they were made like lead pipes and he would just bolt us in the side of the head with those two fingers and it would jolt you like you would literally just i'm not saying my dad i love my dad but i'm not saying he may or may not have done that it's a different world now but you see uh, that used to be like that all the time i'm joking now, yeah, it's yeah. true though and i hear what you're saying you know <laughs> but he blasted us like that and uh i was just coming from the dentist we we're just joking and i was having this conversation with the with the lady at the dentist there that how like that's not done anymore like yeah. people don't you don't spank your kids yeah. you don't hit your kids yeah. and i'm like wow the yeah. world's changed a lot because it wasn't sure that has. long ago sure where a whole generation of us were sure just has. getting the beat down sure has sure has know? sure has so your father trained you to be a lawyer is the bottom line well yeah i don't know if he trained me to be a lawyer but i you know, I, I don't even know if it was my dad maybe i'm sort of doing too much self-analysis but for whatever reason i've never been nervous about being going to court and sort of i attribute that somehow to maybe the way i was raised it as you know, I'm going tomorrow morning. I'll be in Brampton court tomorrow morning. I have zero anxiety about it. You know, I'll probably be like sort of napping like while I'm waiting in the gallery, right? So yeah, whatever. Good for you because yeah. you're dealing with clients who we're all like, you know, freaking out. We're like, nervous. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, something about option agreements on a rent to own strategy. And I think you have some good advice that if a tenant... Is uh, for those of you listening who don't know how rent to own is structured. I mean, it can be structured in a million different ways, but the way it's commonly structured would be a standard lease agreement and then a second agreement, which is an option agreement that is often worded, if it's done in our opinion well, that it expires on a certain date. Right. But you're saying that if they're in breach of the lease, because the option agreement will have wording saying that if the if the tenant doesn't maintain the lease in good order you know, basically not making payments, yeah. that uh, the option agreement will be null and void. Or if they do not pay 
on, uh, or sorry, if they do not buy the house by a certain date, yes, the option and exercise their option and exercise their option by a certain date, null and void. You're saying it's in your best interest to actually go beyond that and do what? Notify. Well, I just think you have to be, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's as much as you can because going to what we were saying a few minutes ago, like you know, it's not a perfect system in the sense that the judge may not see it your way. You know, sometimes, you know, you might have all the legalities behind you. Your tenant is defaulted in some way. They haven't exercised their option quickly enough or whatever. But let's just say the optics of the situation are such that the judge is a bit sympathetic, you know? Got it. Okay. Uh, you got a mom with two kids in the house and like two little kids and you want you want them out of the house, you know, or whatever it is. There could be so many different ways that a judge might be a little bit more sympathetic. Makes sense. Okay, right? I see where you're headed. I got you it. You know, they're human beings too, right? Um, so, so... Sometimes, um, you know, a judge might look to the optics of the situation and see if they can find a way to maybe make it work. And some of them are more conservative. Some are more liberal. Like, again, it's just like you and I, we have different conceits, right? But I I guess what I'm saying is make sure that you dot all your I's, cross all your T's. If your tenant's in default, make sure that you notify them. If there's something in the agreement that says you have to notify them and tell them that they're in default or that you will not allow them to exercise their option or that you will not be selling the home, you just got to make sure that you're doing all the things that you should be doing pursuant to the agreement so that if it's ever in front of a judge... And it's clear. It's clear. And so you make that judge, you make it really hard for that judge then to find in the other person's favor, right? Because sometimes if you give them just a little bit of a door opening, it might not go the way that you want, you know, d- d- depending on the optics or whatever the case might be. So, And it's funny you say that about the optics. That's a really important point because I think naturally human nature would be to side with the tenant. Like I could sometimes. see myself yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that you say that because in the last um, year, people will always ask us, hey, what's like, you know, what, on, on rent to owns, which we hardly do any of anymore, just because investors don't want to buy them because they think property prices are going up yeah. forever. Yeah, they kind so of turned like, around there a few years ago. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So they're like, I'm not yeah. going to do a rent to own because yeah. I don't want to sell this property. It's just going to go up to infinity. Well, and and just to just to inter, to interrupt you there, a lot of people in the past couple of years have been coming to me and saying, I've got this rent to own. And is there some way I can get out of it? Because I don't want to sell it for that price. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I could put it and, on the market okay, and, and get and, way more. And you this know? is my point about the, the sympathy. I find that um, when people ask us about the buyout rates of rent-to-owns, I'm yeah. like, it's, it's not really dependent on the tenant. It's actually dependent on the psychology of the real estate market at the time. Yeah. If the real estate market is getting negative headlines, the buyout rates go down because people are like, real estate is crap. But like two years ago, when real estate was like going up at 15%, nuts, nuts. then all of a sudden... The people who in a rent to own on the tenant side magically were coming up with ability to buy properties right. at a much higher rate, 100%. like 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 almost at a hundred percent rate because yep. because they were like forget it this the buyout is like four hundred and fifty the property's worth five hundred and thirty yeah I'm buying this thing yeah and um and investors were selling they, they were honoring the agreement because it was all laid out and they were selling the property and it was a very good return yeah. to the investor yeah. which you know we have to sometimes remind people but they were kind of bitter little bit some not all uh saying you know kind of left a lot of money on the table there yeah it was totally interesting to me because some people would be like you know what dude i made this agreement and i I could i could make more but i made the agreement and and i'm gonna live by it and so let's close the deal Right, and then some other people like get I'm, me out of this deal. I, I'm not selling. Where for is that the amount. loophole? How can yeah, I get yeah, out? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And and so a judge would not see the sympathetic side of that situation on these deals where a tenant's buying out a property and getting like 
sometimes a hundred grand in equity the day they buy the property. Yeah, right? and there's all these legal principles like there's acquiescence and you know and so forbearance and waiver like this. So we won't get into like all the particulars of it, but basically, if you know they, they if they're offside in some way and you don't do anything about it in terms of telling them they're offside, but then you keep collecting the money, for example, right? Um, you know, then a judge might say, well, okay, they were offside, but then you kept collecting the money afterwards. Uh, Interesting. Or, you know, or they may have been off by a couple of days in terms of exercising the option. You know, by the letter of the law, people say the letter of the law, by the contract, they're clearly off. But, you know, again, using a, you have a to very extreme the- example, if you've got, a, you know, a single mom with two kids, like two little kids in the home, you know, you've got some sure. bad optics there, sure. right? Yeah. And then you, and then you know, she's trying to like she's you know scraping together her money to to be able to buy, and she's got the money, and you know, you basically you look like a jerk, yeah, right? So totally. you have to sort of cover your bases if you're. Totally. You know, gonna I I find in general, if you are a good person as the landlord or investor and act with good intentions, yeah. that does come across in front of a judge, so that even if you're losing on some of the optics, as long as you are not coming across as someone who is really trying to take advantage of someone, I yeah. find that anyone listening to this thinking about getting in real estate, you can kind of rest easy, like. People, the judge, I think they can tell when someone's trying to take advantage also. For sure they you can. You know, kind of For goes, sure can. You at least hope that they can. And in many cases they can. Sometimes they don't act like they can see the difference. Sometimes, you know, they're also desensitized too, don't forget, right? So some of these judges that are doing the civil cases are also doing criminal cases. Not always, but there are some judges who do both. Um and, you know, they're seeing some pretty nasty stuff on the criminal side, right? They're seeing some really nasty stuff. Um, so, you know, sometimes I have clients that are like, this is an outrage. This is outrageous. You have to tell the judge, you know, uh, this is completely outrageous. Whatever. I mean, you keep using the word outrageous, right? Well, I'm like, the judge on that criminal case yesterday saw outrage. Today, you, you're just this on a is, contract case, yeah. right? So you have to sort of play all of that into it. Yeah, yeah. You know? all important information. Okay, and then I'm, something else I wanted to get your opinion on is in joint ventures, because a lot of real estate investors will end up in joint ventures at some point typically, yeah. either with friends, family, neighbors even we've seen. The biggest concern I'll always have on a joint venture when someone's doing it with someone they don't really know that well or they think they know but they don't really know is that if, if you and I buy a property together and we're a joint venture, 50-50, yeah. you know, we're splitting the equity gain, we're splitting the any you know uh, possible appreciation, we're splitting cash flow, but the roof caves in. Mm-hmm. clearly needs a $5,000 immediate repair because yeah. the roof has caved in. Yeah. But you're you're like, Tom, you know what? I think we can just tarp it. And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Like, it's the roof. We need to get in there and spend the money right yeah. now. But now if we're in a 50-50 relationship, how, what's the best way, and maybe using you and I together isn't a good example or two people, what is the best way to structure that joint venture agreement so that like somebody has deciding control on when money is to be spent? Or do you need to do that uh, or sorry, you don't need to do that. You can just take action and recoup that money on a 50-50 share. At yeah, some point. so so 50-50s are hard. Um, uh, you know, it's just like a marriage, right? Like you both have to agree, and if you don't, both don't agree, yeah. then there's no agreement. So 50-50s are hard that way. Um, almost always we have a provision in the contract that says, you know, you split it 50-50 in terms of what the cost is, and if I can't come up with the money, for example, but you can, then you put in the money and then I owe you the money. And then you can put in the contract that 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, whatever percent it is, right? In effect, it's a loan. So that doesn't really address the question that you're asking, though, which is how do we agree that we either have to fix the roof or not? 
Uh, and it's hard on a 50-50. When there's more than two people, then you can have sort of that deciding vote. Because we made that, I forget what it's called, but your little management committee, your voting yes, committee, yeah. and the agreement, it's yeah. there. I forget the yeah. name of it. Yeah, it, it's different names for different okay. different agreements. Okay. But but that's exactly it. There's just a committee that basically makes the decision. Or Sometimes there's a property manager as well, but not necessarily that person making the decision. So if there's more than two, then it's easy. If there's only two and you can't agree, Usually the default position is that the agreement is void then. The whole the agreement is void and someone has to buy someone out because now you have a total disagreement on what you should be doing, right? Um, I haven't seen that come okay. up. I haven't okay. seen that It's just come always up, been in the back of my mind. Yeah. It's a little kind of, yeah. I guess because Nick and I always come from the point like if, hey, if there's a, like, a leak in the foundation or if there's something furnace, like we don't have time to be like, arguing on whether we need to be putting in a new furnace or not we're right. putting in a new furnace right. today yeah um that's been my concern a little bit and we've always done it because we have done joint ventures where nick and i are 50 percent one side together so i guess 25 25 nick and i you could yeah. look at it but we're yeah. 50 and another person's 50 yeah. and we've never been faced with that situation and we yeah. would always just step in and do the right thing but it's always been in the back of my mind like hmm let's say that person doesn't agree they're going to do yeah. that you know yeah Okay, so another case for the lawyer to come in and guide you through the situation. Make some money off you, right? Yeah, okay, no, no, I get it. Uh, okay, so um, not that that's a bad thing. It's how the world works. Um, title insurance, why do we have, I don't even know if you know the answers to this, but like. Well, thanks for asking me without knowing. I know, without know giving answer. you a heads up, but I just want to explain something. When, yeah. when I was in, when Nick and I were buying our place in, in uh Croatia over there, they went through, they literally went through, I guess, I don't know if the deeds is the right uh, word, but they went through like this historical chain of yes. ownership. Yes. yes. And yeah. I remember it just fascinating to me because yeah. they literally had these records. Yeah. 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 Where they would go through and yeah. then, you know, whoever's the current owner could be proved through a chain of. Same here. Okay. Yeah. But we are all buying title insurance when we close on properties so that if that is messed up. Mm-hmm and something goes wrong with that, that we have this insurance that will step in and correct it? Yeah, so, okay, so here's the answer. Luckily, I know the answer to this one. Okay, good. I mean, I didn't mean to throw you, I, I, I should have prepped, uh, prepped you. Chris? Honestly, I gotta, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so, so it used to be, here's a sort of a generalized answer, but here we go. So it used to be that deals would close in the registry office in the city where the property was located. Okay, so for example, if you you know if you were closing on a St. Catherine's property, the registry office in St. Catherine's is 59 Church Street. That's where the courthouse is. That's where the registry office is. Hamilton, it's 119 King. You know, so there's all these different ROs, registry offices around. And it used to be that the deal would close there. So um, I articled right around the time that there was a change being made. So I learned the old way. So I spent months at 119 King Street in Hamilton learning the old RO way. The lawyer would go there, the two lawyers would meet on the day of closing or their conveyancers or their staff, but basically the two offices would No meet, way, would they meet. would actually yeah. meet there? They'd meet there, yeah. I mean, they're representatives. No, I, very, I, I, very, I get it. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it was the lawyer. But there was sometimes. an actual meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be at the RO, you know, and so, you know, the one lawyer would show up with money, in effect, the bank drafts. The other lawyer would show up with keys, you know, and then there would be this sort of physical transaction at the RO. Uh, and then you would take all of your paperwork to the registrar who was behind like a big desk. And she would re- say she, it's sexist, but sure. it was mostly women. It yeah, was yeah. some men Guy too. Or girl. 
uh, and she would review it and make sure that everything looked right. And then she would register your deed and she would register your mortgage. And, you know, that was the deal. That's how the deal got done at the registry office. And um, so, so in the weeks leading up to that, the lawyers would be doing their searches. So I remember going to 119 King or 59 Church in St. Catharines or wherever it was and pulling all the information, pulling the deeds, etc. And I would be doing a physical hands-on search there. You know, I'd be looking at the title register, maps, surveys, reference plans. You'd be like checking all these things, right? So uh, back in those days, I say it like it was forever ago, but it was 20 years ago, you know, in 1998 when I articled. So, you know, so that's not that long ago, 20 years, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, if, if I was looking at a survey, for example, that didn't look quite right, you know, I couldn't tell, are you buying a hundred feet frontage or 105 feet frontage? You know, some of these surveys were like old and burnt up or a hundred years old or whatever the case was, you know, and I just couldn't really give you a lawyer's opinion about what it was that you were buying. Or if I was looking at the transactions that you say historical, right? It used to be like in a big, huge book written down in pen, so-and-so bought from so-and-so who bought from so-and-so. And I couldn't quite tell. Maybe there was a gap in the chain of title. And, you know, would someone come back and say from 50 years ago, they never released the interest. Now they still own the property. All this nonsense. In any event, I would physically check all that stuff. And if I couldn't give you an opinion, I'd say uh, maybe you should get a new survey or maybe you should get title insurance. And title insurance will cover you against, you know, if you're buying 100 feet or 110 feet. Is your neighbor going to say he owns 10 feet of your lot line? So, and then you would say yes or no, or maybe so, but it was optional on you to get the title insurance or not that, that would protect you in that circumstance, right? Well, everything has gone now electronic. So every property that's a land titles property, usually all the city properties, the old like farm registry properties are different, but if it's in a city, it's land titles, LT, um, and it's it's got now an electronic catalog number with Service Ontario, and that's called a PIN number, like a VIN number on a car. And so now I'm closing your deal from my office in front of my computer. I pop in your PIN number and Service Ontario spits out this document that says to me, basically clear or not clear. If there's a lien, I can see that. But I'm not doing a physical search anymore. I'm not going to the RO anymore. I'm just doing this sort of transaction from my office. And on the day of closing, the other lawyer is sitting at his desk or her desk in front of her computer doing the same thing. So when that happened, lenders all started saying title insurance is now mandatory, right? It's no longer optional on you. It's now mandatory. You must get it. We are your partners in this transaction. We own the home together with you until you pay us out. You're getting title insurance as a prerequisite to and getting the sorry, mortgage. Sorry, who mandated that? The provincial government? Lenders started doing oh, it. Oh, lenders yeah, started doing all it. All lenders okay. now. So, because they're loaning on this yes, stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yep. Because they own, they have an ownership interest in yeah, the property, yeah, right? Yeah. So now it's mandatory. You cannot get a mortgage. Uh, some privates you can, but any sort of you know lender's mortgage, you can't get a mortgage without title insurance. It's totally mandatory. Now, it's a bit of a gaffe, to use my word from yeah. before, in the sense that in most cases you don't need it. You know, like most of these properties now have circulated since 2000 and they've been on the PIN system. So and if there, no, if no there was way, anything that was going to come out, it would have shaked out by now. There's right? no way to subterfuge this? Subterfuge it? No. <laughs> no subterfuge. No, I was because, trying to use my new word, Chris. Yeah. I, I stumble, I stuttered through the word. <laughs> okay, got yeah. it. So that's what title insurance is. It's this, it's this protection 
to protect you and most importantly, the lender against any frauds on title, any mistakes on title, anything with, you know, like lot so line you know problems, what, when et we cetera. Go, okay, right? so then I guess when we go to like uh, 20 years from today, when yeah. we're all using this blockchain technology that will electronically be the ledger representing this stuff, you might not need title insurance anymore because it'll be like a distributed ledger. Well, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it may, that, it may morph. Yeah, 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 it may yeah. morph. Yeah, yeah, like it may morph into something else because the number of title insurance claims that I have are... are you know, are minute compared to the number of deals that I do. Yeah. Now, some of them could be like huge claims, but. And and a big claim would be somebody arguing lot size or just straight up ownership. Yeah. Ownership would be one. I mean, I don't. So really they're, they're, they're arguing straight up ownership of who owned that. Well, it it, it hardly happens, you know, because again, it's circulated so much, but for example, someone may not have properly come off title 50 years ago that wasn't then captured in the um, when it all went electronic, and somehow someone found it, and then some Their guy name you know, still uh, he, got and, it. And the guy shows up. He's like, "Well, I still own some piece of this property. Yeah, like it's it. all you know, it's all horseshit." Yeah, 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 but anyway, I mean, that's technically a claim, right? Got it. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we need to do this uh, often because we need the legal updates from you. There's well, there's one other thing I, I I find this stuff really interesting, especially when you're into real estate as an investor. Like these are the little yeah. details that we all kind of need to know about. When someone is looking to get a lawyer who is going to represent them in court on some action, you know, I'm yeah. not talking about a real estate transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something that you can give them as a heads up to say, hey, here's some of the questions you should probably ask the person. Yeah. And the reason I ask you this yeah. is because I, it took Nick and I many years to understand there were different lawyers. This sound, might sound really naive to you, yeah, yeah. but we believed that when you went to a lawyer, you were going to a lawyer. Yeah. And we didn't understand that just like in real estate, there are different lawyers, like some will just, um, I don't mean to say just, but they will. Their, their profession will be closing real estate deals. Like they're very good at closing real estate yep, deals, but sure. they don't really go to court sure. yeah. on civil litigation of any sort or yeah. anything like that. Um, and when they do, if they had to represent your interest because they don't go there often, they might not be doing it the best way yeah, and they yeah. don't have the experience how can you like you know if you if you did get served with uh, some documents what would be some questions you could ask your lawyer just to make sure you're in good hands yeah well you know i mean asking the questions and getting the answers no, won't necessarily help you because you know we all have the ability to bullshit right yeah. and tell you that we especially that we, lawyers that we Chris, know how to do it um, lawyer don't you find lawyers really I'm some trying, are yeah i was trying yeah, to make a joke yeah. you're not reacting to that at all no, you're just like no, that's no. not funny tom no, no. never say that about lawyers <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, you almost have to go out and ask other people or get other opinions okay the word on the street, you know, there, there are lawyers that are certified specialists in civil litigation, certified by the law society. And frankly, between me and you are garbage. Um, um, there are some that are not certified and they're, they're dynamite lawyers. You know, I think I've always, always said this. I think a good litigation lawyer is mostly based on personality and I'm not talking about a winning personality. Like, you know, um, I'm talking about just having the ability to, I'm, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to argue. I'm happy to argue. I'm not afraid of the judge yelling at me and I'm going to do I'm it. I'm not going to take shit. I'm not going to take shit. You know, like I've said this so many times, we all have like a basic modicum of intelligence. Like we're all relatively bright, but I don't know where I stand in the pantheon of brightness and intelligence. I mean, you might have double my IQ. It's possible. I don't know. You just use modicum. It's, modicum it's, like it's, that again. No, we're way, you're way beyond. No, like, but it's going. possible, right? But think about it. Like, what are we actually arguing about? Like if you and I were lawyers arguing in court and we were doing the theory of relativity or quantum physics, 
then I might get my ass kicked because I don't really know anything about that. But it's basic stuff. Like when we're arguing law, we're just really arguing things that are basic premises, basic, you know, you know, uh, issues of right and wrong. We can all do that. We all have the level of intelligence to do that. It's, are you going to be anxious about it? Are you going to be able to make your argument in front of a judge? Are you going to have like a puking session in the morning before you go into court like some people do, you know? So I think that clients should ask around, you know, and, and just ask people maybe that have been in it, meet the lawyer, see what the bearing is, see what the personality is. Some lawyers are hard up for work, so they want your retainer, they want your file, so they'll tell you they can do it because they need to eat tomorrow. Uh, other lawyers are just sort of based on their ego. They want to be able to do it because it gives them some sort of inner self-satisfaction, right? So it's a, it's a really hard question to answer. I think you just have to kind of do your due diligence and ask around. And, and, and then after all that has been said, you still might not win your case because a judge might not see it your way. So it's not, it's not an easy answer, you know? Yeah, it's not. And it's, well, at least just bringing it up. And if you're listening to this, just know that not all lawyers are made equal for different things. Exactly. You know? And exactly. That, that, that really did as, as maybe, as I mentioned, as naive as that sounds, we did not get that. We didn't understand that. We just thought a lawyer is a lawyer. Yeah. And if we have a good guy lawyer, then he's done it all. Yeah. But it's really not the case all the time. It's, it's, you know, like, so we've all gone to school and we've all got our law degrees and we've practiced X number of years, but that, that's really the, the, the common denominator from there. Some are better than others. And, and I'm not saying that I'm better than others. I'm just saying we have no, different well, it's, aspects it's, it's of like our real estate, right? like in the real yeah. estate profession, we had to get our real estate licenses to open a brokerage and work yeah. with investors the way we do. Um, but the real estate license we all get is the same that everyone gets, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we have as much experience as somebody in, you know, Alberta's uh, mountainside uh, country land or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, uh, y- you know, that was really a bad analogy I'm trying to make. <laughs> but like we have experience here and we do this here and uh, you could have very similar real estate kind of designations, but the experience you have and what you bring to the table, completely different. I think so. So it makes sense in every profession. I just don't know. Maybe we were just super young when we first realized that, um, but it felt like a big thing for us. Yeah. Cool. I think a uh, great update. Chris, thank awesome. you. I know you thank were a busy guy. I mean, we're dragging you all the way down That's the highway here in traffic to do this. So really, really all appreciate good. this. How, how do people reach you? If they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? So um, uh, telephone 905-388-0130 is my office. My cell 905-520-1081 and uh, website www. What is it? capclaw.ca. Yeah, so capclaw.ca. Chris Agaropoulos, Professional Corporation Law, CAPCLaw.ca. Yeah, and the email is Chris, C-H-R-A-S, at CAPCLaw.ca. We will link to you. We will have in the show notes for this, um, we will link to that. And you can always get to those at uh, rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. All the episodes are listed there. And on this episode, this chat with Chris, we'll put the link to his website there. So if you're listening to this while you're driving or whatever, you can go to that URL later and track Chris down. Chris, thanks again, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Tom Crowds again. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Chris, as I hope you can tell, he's a, a great guy, great lawyer. He's turned into a, a good friend of ours over the years. You can get his URL or his website at the show notes for this particular podcast episode. And you can always get those at Rockstar Inner Circle forward slash podcast. So Rockstar Inner Circle forward slash podcast. All the different episodes of this podcast 
podcast will be there. You can click on his episode and in the, the notes or the details of this episode, we'll have a link to his website. So if you heard him mention it, but couldn't remember it or you're driving or whatever, you can get to it. And just I'll repeat it one more time. It's www.capclaw.ca, but you can get to it at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast if that's easier to remember to get to his site there. Everyone, thank you for the feedback that we were sharing. We recently had the Your Life, Your Terms event where we had a whole bunch of people come out and we shared the morning together, different real estate investing strategies and economic update and a local real estate market update amongst other things. And a whole bunch of people came up and thanked us and gave us feedback for doing this podcast. That really means a lot to us. So thank you for that type of feedback. It really helps drive us to put out more of these episodes and try to find good guests that are interesting to all of us. So thank you for all the feedback. And if you are listening to this and you feel like we've earned it, if we could ask that you give us a rating or review on iTunes, we greatly appreciate it. So if you feel like we've earned it, um, if you could do that for us, that is really like the fuel that drives this podcast for us for some reason. I don't know why exactly that's the case, but it is. So if you feel like we deserve that, um, that would be great. And we would be very grateful and thankful for that. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.